Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to the batch video for the web novel Out of Space from the website Royal Road. In this video we will be doing chapters 265 to 268 and as always I hope that you enjoy and if you do please consider checking me out on the podcast sites such as iTunes and Spotify under the name of a.s.n web novels and short stories. Chapter 265 With a Vengeance Between the edge of the uncharted forest and the great ocean plains, Aaron Hart frowned as he rode at the forest from the back of the tamed wolf. He felt a sharp ache in his chest for quite a while and wondered what mortal illness could still affect his body. He looked back at the forest and smiled as he thought of the note and the present he left behind for his uh, friends, knowing that they would definitely love it. Suddenly, another sharp ache stabbed in his chest and he cursed, his hands gripping tightly at the thick fur of his mount as he gasped. He looked up at the endless plains stretching out in the distance, knowing that something had happened to his patron. Hurry! he snapped to his escorts. We must return at once! He looked down at his right hand and saw that his hand giving out a tiny tendrils of smoke. He clenched open and closed in his hand with worry, wondering what was going on with his powers. He remembered them when on the run when their previous comrades, they had blindly driven into the heavy snowstorm before the lead half-track got bogged down. They tried to put it half-track out with the help of the second vehicle, but with the storm raging all around them, it turned out to be futile. When the storm subsided, they were lost at a land of white as they argued inside the heated vehicle of their future plans. Dozens and dozens of large, naked, pale, blue-looking humanoid creatures wielding crude weapons surrounded them. Despite their panic, they managed to fight off the creatures just as another storm hit them. Unwittingly to leave behind the precious vehicles filled with supplies and tech, they dug in, constantly besieged by the blue creatures. It was by luck that they spotted the cave nearby and decided to use it to take shelter from the constant heavy snowstorm, and that was where they found the series of caves in the den of those blue monsters. With their superior weaponry, they easily killed the waves of monsters, including the old and the young. Aaron secretly enjoyed it all, feeling like he was in a VR game, getting monsters and fighting loot. And loot they found. Bits and pieces of gold and silver and statues of snakes carved into the walls. They stood before the largest rock statue of a hooded snake and stood in the middle of the cavern, easily four to five meters tall, staring wide-eyed in wonder. On the base of the statue were several gold idols and amulets and bits and pieces of offerings on the form of bones and small animals, small manor stones to gold or silver. Without a word, Roman had reached out and picked up the largest gold idol of the snake and admired it in the light of his torch. He grinned madly at the rest, and Aaron remembered him yelling, We are rich, rich! The rest of the adrenaline high from the kidding caught up to Roman's enthusiasm, and they too scrambled for the loot, laughing. Little did they know that the blood from the creatures that they had slain slowly flowed towards the statue of the snake and pulled at its base. They were all too busy digging the small hill of offerings into a treasure to notice. Suddenly, they all paused as their mad rush for treasure as a heavy presence descended upon them. They felt goosebumps rising all over their bodies and a deep sense of primal fear growing. 
The shadows cast by the glows of their flashlights started moving and shadowy snakes appeared out of nowhere and surrounded them hissing viciously. An ancient voice hissed at them from the stone statue as the petrified human stood there shaking in fear. Aish, fragile, fresh souls. A large shadowy snake oozed out from at the bared mouth of the snake statue and hissed in pleasure before the men. Hmm, you all... The snake appeared to study them closely as it slithered around. No one had dared make a single move as they still could feel the intense pressure from the snake and deep down inside. They knew if they made the wrong move, their lives would be forfeited immediately. How many years has she not met the beings again? The snake hissed in a language that strangely the humans all could understand. No matter... You all smell good. The snake rose up before Ramon and his jaw widened till it was large enough to swallow the fat human whole. Ramon yelled out in reflex, Wait, great one, we seek to serve. Ah, a believer. The snake closed its jaws and tilted its head in a human-like gesture. I see. Ramon quickly dropped down to his knees and bowed on his head against the bloody ground. Great one, we, we are your servants. He peeked under his belly at the kneeling position and saw the others still rooted on the spot and quickly hissed out. Quickly, kneel. The rest stared at the shadowy snake and at Ramon before they too quickly kneeled down and bowed, following Ramon's example. Great one. Hmm. The snake coiled before Ramon and hissed happily. Good. Ish just needs some help in the realm. Find me the sun. Aaron snapped out of his thoughts when he suddenly one of his escorts cried out and pointed to the rear. He followed the orc's gesture and saw a massive monster bursting out from the trees. What in the world was that? Sergeant Sath grinned as he saw a bunch of orcs in the distance as he zoomed display to Unit 2 crawled out of the forest. Found you, jerks! Distance 2,000, load HE, yelled the gunner and loader at the gun turret. Pilot, pull forward, close the distance as much as you can. The hammering of the clanks of the three-inch gun being loaded merged with the living stone joints of the mech as the pilot clove and pushed the speed of the manned armored walker up. The internal damage dealt by the fight with the great serpent's spawning had mostly fixed it as best as it could, but several red lights still lit up on Sath's commander console. The external armor plating on the MAW was badly dented by the fight while one of the forward legs were jettisoned off due to heavy damages. MAW limped forward as fast as it could with the remaining five legs as it sought to catch up with the running orc party through the forest. Now at the open plains, clothed deploying the wheels and stored in the inner side of the armored legs and powered by the electric motor. The MAW charged across the uneven ground, with the little ASAG tagging behind. Looks like thirty, forty of them in the party, Sath called out. Great! I'll be a cakewalk, Drake grinned while crowding behind Sath's chair. Open up the top hatch, me and Slow will ride on the top deck. Got it, Sath nodded as he punched the hatch release of the two marines to climb out of the cramped passenger compartment and onto the hull of the MAW. Remember your earplugs! Both Drake and Slow climbed out of the internal of the MAW and crouched on the top decks. 
There was a simple depression on the side of the hulls with which the troops could hold on and ride on the top of the MAW. Drake and Slow each took one side while gripping the handbars to steady themselves. They crouched down and watched the distance between themselves and the York party closing at a snail pace. Drake estimated the MAW was traveling at roughly 30 to 40 kilometers per hour, and he jolted his comms bled out. Watch out, the main gun is firing! Drake gestured for Slow to hunker down, facing away from the stub cannon barrel which suddenly roared. Distance, 1800. Seth called out as he designated the target of Gunner. Fire! Aye! The Gunner cried out and hollowed thump of the cannon echoed loudly within the turret. Load HE! Up! Ready! Drop two degrees! Fire! Aye! Two degrees down! Fire! Good hit! Fire for effect! Three HE rounds! Rapid! Aye! Load! Up! Fire! The shriek of the passing shell screamed past Aaron's orc party and made him panic as he instinctively ducked his head down, and the short distance ahead, the ground erupted upwards. The shock wave of the thunder hit him and throwing the rain of dirt down. Spread out! Disperse! Disperse! He yelled over his ringing ears. He yanked a leash of his wolf mount, urging it to run faster as the frightened wolf slowed its pace after the explosion scared it. The orcs, too deafened by the blast, remained bunched up, only concentrating to put as much distance as they could with the monster was spitting thunder at them. Another shriek and a loud boom, several wolves and orcs tumbled down as the three-inch H.E. shell landed between them. Disperse! Aram continued to roar out as he waved his hands to the side urgently. The orcs, finally understanding his yells, broke off into several smaller parties and widened the distance amongst themselves as more HE shells landed amongst them. Distance 1500, Sath roared out. One and two, MGs engage. The two side ball turrets fired, their gunners using the tracers to guide the shots at the running orcs and wolves. The range was more than their effectiveness of the 50 calibers. The heavy rounds riddled the wolves easily as they were a larger target, sending them tumbling head over heels and throwing their riders off violently. On the top deck, Drake grinned as the thickly bandaged up slow who bared his teeth back while working the bolt of his rifle, chambering around in and he yelled over the wind, It's time for payback and revenge! Slow nodded as he braced his MG1 against the hull of the MAW. Oh, he will make them pay, that's for sure. Great Ocean Plains, somewhere near Sin City. It had burrowed into the ground after blindly searching for shelter to get out of the sun and recover its wounds. It hissed angrily as it checked its body and closed its eyes as a conserved energy, letting its newly formed material body to repair the gaping wounds. It slowly fell into a deep slumber, dreaming of vengeance and hellfire. Skies over the Great Plains Despite the lulling hum of the bomber's engines, Air Force pilot Gul'dan remained wide awake as he checked his position with the navigator. They were using the UAV currently as an area of operations as a beacon, and the UAV was currently vectoring them towards their target. When they returned on their previous mission with one less plane, the mood to the airbase was subdued. The ground crew had a solemn expression as they ran over to service the aircraft and help crew and pilots off. But today... The atmosphere on the airbase was full of energy, as the men and women propped the bombers and ordnance technicians signed the rote messages dedicated to the crew that lost their lives on the bombs that were loaded onto the bombers. 
The rest of the airbase personnel, seeing the ordnance techs were doing, joined them when clusters of bombs inside bomb base of Kuldan Seagull 1 was covered with messages of vengeance from the lost crew. Targets coming up, navigation called out from his position. Opening bomb bays, Goldarn replied as he flipped the switch on his hydraulics. 900, 800, 700. Gul'dan called out as he watched these gauges while his co-pilot peered into the bombing sights. Drop, drop, drop! A mixture of their total remaining stocks of napalm and MK2 general purpose 250kg bombs were released over the den of the unsuspecting godsnake, which was still slumbering underground. We are back, and this time with a vengeance. End of chapter. Chapter 266 Live free. The planes were burning. Thick oily smoke rose into the skies, where it was visible a hundred kilometers away. The creatures living in the vicinity fled from the inferno that was raging on the heart of the plains. The fire was constantly accompanied by thunderous roars that could be heard echoing dozens of kilometers away. No sane creature nor person had remained close by, as they all fled away from the angry pressure of the serpent god. Seagull 2 to 1, presence delivered. The comms of Gul'dan's headphones cried out, place burning up hotter than hell. Roger, RTB, stay high and don't get caught by that thing. Gul'dan replied as he returned the plane back towards the base, before leaning back and watching the burning fields. That's it for the geyser Seagull 3. Lebo the hunter crouched low, using the tall grass for concealment and watching the squirming serpent god thrashing about in the distance. Fires raged all around it and it cried out in pain and anger while rolling about on the scorched earth, creating large furrows and churned earth. He had wrapped the dirty, sweat-stained animal hide across his mouth and nose as thick ash and smoke hugged the area around the serpent god. He frowned as he watched the two strange cross-shaped objects flying off into the skies. That barely looked like any virum or dragon he'd ever seen in his whole life of hunting monsters. Despite his misgivings, he bowed and gave a prayer of thanks to the strange flying creatures as he watched how they burnt the hidden serpent out of his hiding place. He picked up a quiver filled with throwing spears and carefully backtracked away from the serpent. Once he was certain he was far enough away from the snake, he turned on his heels and ran, heading towards the army that was awaiting his scouting report. It was rudely awakened by the howl fire that came from nowhere. The dirt ceiling above it collapsed and buried it, while shockwaves battered it all over, making it confused and hurting its insides. Liquid howl fire scorched and stuck to any of its exposed flesh, while the air around it superheated up by the rivers of fire. Nasty storm clouds soon formed above the raging inferno as the superheated air rose up into the atmosphere. The chain lightning thundered and flashed in the clouds. Its injuries were barely healed when yet it suffered again, feeding the hellfire burning right into its core. It thrashed about, trying to rub the hellfire off its body as it dug its way out of the earth. It wondered how it was found. Was the gods of fire working with the mortals against it now? It opened its jaw and screamed out its rage, knowing that its injuries would lessen in time on the realm and it must feed, or its powers would be too weak to remain here. It rolled about on the ground and slithered its way out of the inferno, making sure to avoid the swaths of hellfire and ignored the energy-drained sponge rays on its body as it looked around desperately for prey. 
thousands and thousands of Orkin had gathered together by the call of the Great Summons. It had been over a hundred years since the last Great Summons was invoked, and all the warriors and the great clans and tribes had gathered before the massive inferno raging in the distance. Is that where the evil one is? One of the gathered lesser chiefs asked. The gathered chiefs and elders of various clans and tribes gazed upon the burning plains. Where are the rest? Have they all been defeated? Another young Orkin asked. The elders and chiefs looked at each other uneasily. We have no news. Wait for the scouts to return. Are we fighting? Another called out while the elders and chiefs ignored the question. What are we waiting for? All of you, silence. One of the elders with an angry expression roared out. We observe more before making any rash acts. We wait for the scouts to return. A commanding voice broke the unease amongst the chiefs and elders. A young Orkin with perfectly sculpted muscles, wearing a sleeveless hide armor and a brace of black powder revolvers, hung on his hips and the great axe dangling over his backs, strolled to the center of the gathered Orkin. How long must we wait? We have gathered here for over three days. His dominating presence warmed the Orkins to give him way as he stood before the chiefs and elders. Me, Torok, son of Drok, great chief of Wolfmasters, he roared on his credentials. Son of Drok, we greet you. The elders and chiefs gave a respectful bow to the young chieftain and the large Orkin clan. Your father will miss. Yes, Torok waved the pleasantries away. My father missing still, together with thousands of Wolfmaster warriors. The other lesser chieftains also cried out, We have three hundred warriors missing, five hundred with the Tusk clan. Enough! The elders and chiefs in the front roared out, Wait for the scouts to return. Not only that, Torak growled, Where are the shamans? I see none here. Even our clan shamans are missing. His words made the rest of the clan chieftains uneasy as they looked around themselves while the elders and chiefs sighed. The shamans have all gone to help, uh, Help! Torak narrowed his eyes. From who and where? All the great clans and tribes are gathered to call of the great summon. Who else can the shamans call? Unless... Yes. Our ancestors. One of the elders confirmed his thoughts. As you know, we waiting for them to arrive. We do not need... Torak frowned. Wait. The missing warriors. Every single one defeated. Yes. The elders and chiefs nodded sadly. We do not wish to spread the news. The sons of the chiefs that perished in battle with the serpent god looked around themselves and shocked at the news. There are three thousand warriors, Torak cried out. How could that be possible? It's the truth, the elders and chiefs replied. We are fighting the great evil, but the bodies, their spirits, Torak clenched his fists in anger. Where are they? His question was met with a silence until Torak turned away from the gathering elders and chiefs. I shall gather my warriors for war. We have waited too long. Now it is injured and we must make a chance to kill it. Torak suddenly stopped as he turned back and said, The evil has to be stopped, like how our fathers had done so for the greater good of the Orkin race. That thing feasts on the spirit of all living things. If we want to live free after death, we must fight. With that, he walked off with the rest of the sons of the chiefs following behind as they went to rally their warriors to fight. 
A stench of old and rot followed the army of undead as they marched tirelessly across the plains, drawn to the black clouds of smoke in the far horizon. Surrounding the undead army was the orcan shamans, who spent all their power to keep the spirits in check, and also maintaining the magic barrier over the undead, as the sun rays greatly weakened their spirits. The shamans watched the smoke given off by the fires with great unease as they approached nearer. They all had felt a loss of the elder shaman who stayed back to fight the evil, and now massive foreboding clouds gathering over the thick smoke with flickers of lightning and roaring thunder. We must hurry. I fear the great shaman might be in trouble. One of the elder shaman using a short-range telepathy spell spoke into the minds of the shamans nearby. We should be able to make it to the summon by nightfall. The other shamans nodded, and together they squeezed out all of their remaining mana to keep the barrier protecting the undead stronger, to allow spirits more energy to move faster as they kicked their wind wolves mounted, urging them to move faster. The shrieking shell screamed past Arryn's head as he ducked at the orc riding the wind wolf ahead of him disappeared into smoke, flames, and gore. The riderless wolf tumbled head over heels and its rear end missing and training blood and gore everywhere it rolled across the plains. He turned his head away from the splatter of blood as his mount rode through the billowing dust and smoke. Flecks of blood and bits of flesh clung onto his body and clothes, which he quickly brushed them off. He turned back and cursed as he saw the crab-like tank following him instead of the other split-off parties of orcs. His remaining escorts of five orcs was all that remained of the ten that followed him. He watched a line of traces erupt right from the side of the crab tank, the rounds ripping up the other party of orcs that rode away in another direction. Most of the orcs and wolves tumbled down from the lethal spray of bullets and are cursed again. He stared at the thick smoke rising in the distance and wondered what was all about before he turned his attention back to the tank that was chasing and hunting him. Should he surrender... That would probably put him on trial and knock him up somewhere, right? Better than being dead, he thought. But he touched his chest where the emptiness of the stake amulet used to sit and felt a tingle of fear down his spine. It is better to live free than be subjected to a cell, as he knew the serpent can get into places and walls, doors and locks meant nothing to it. Well, at least he had some backup plan. Aaron dug into his saddlebag and pulled out the M7A1 rifle. He turned and yelled at his escorts. We fight! Enough running! Use the anti-armor rounds! His escorts grinned happily as they too pulled out weapons from their side saddles on their mounts, retrieving the revolver cannons. They expertly loaded up four round chambers of the revolver cannons with special green-tipped 20mm shells, and Aaron gave the command. The riders, all suddenly as one, split and galloped back towards the chasing spider tank. Drake, perched on the warped hull of the MAW Unit 02, frowned at the sight of the orc cavalry looping back while swinging their black powder arms, slowly, suddenly cried out, The sides! He turned and saw the other split-pop parties looping back towards them and wondered if they were planning to fight. He knelt down and braced himself properly before raising their scoped M1 rifle and snapping off a shot and missed. Undeterred, he took aim again and fired at the charging human, aiming for the larger windwolf rather than the rider. The 6.8mm bullet spun out of the barrel with a trail of flames and gases. It struck the charging wolf in the face, and a split second later, despite the innate barrier of the air protecting the wolf, 
The wolf flinched as the bullet slowed down and dumped its remaining kinetic energy against the coat of fur that acted as an absorbent armor. The remaining kinetic energy was enough to bruise the wolf painfully as it flinched from the hit. It accidentally tripped over its own legs and tumbled over the ground while flinging its rider off its back. The rest of the orcs fired as they closed the distance between themselves and the spider tank, their anti-armor shells scoring potholes against the armor of the MAW, making both Drake and Slow duck flat to avoid being hit by sprays of hot lead and shrapnel. The guns of the MAW opened up and the orc riders rushed them, easily blowing chunks out of their bodies, and, before long, there were barely a single orc still alive around them. Some of the wolves, not wounded too badly, whimpered and limped away from the monsters that killed their owners. Drake peered over the howl of the MAW and saw the human pushing himself unsteadily and growled, Now for the final meal. End of chapter. Chapter 267 It's a good day to die. Aaron pushed himself to a kneeling position before giving a sudden twist of his dislocated shoulder, snapping it back into place with a cry of pain. He looked up at the towering spider tank which had stopped about fifty meters away from him. He glanced around, seeing all of the orcs were littered around, either dead or dying. He sighed as he picked up the M7A1 and stood up facing the spider tank. You know, it's hard to train these guys. Such a waste of my time and energy. Spaceman, Senior, Aaron Hart, you are charged with the desertion during combat of accessory to murder of two fellow crew members. A human marine yelled from the top of the spider tank. Under Article 75, you are to stand down, drop your weapons, and do not resist. Damn, Marines, Aaron cursed. You jerks think you're all better than us squids, always strutting around with your damn navy gets all the leftover crap. I will not repeat myself. Drop your weapons and stand down now, the Marine yelled back. Aaron shook his head in a grin instead of a yelled back. Why don't you come down here and make me? A crack of a rifle shot echoed out in the dirt before Aaron's feet blew up as a marine fired a warning shot. Last warning, stand down now. Aaron swept his left hand up and gave the bird to the marine and dived down to the right of the area around him exploded as the marine opened fire. He rolled swiftly to his feet and fired his pulse rifle just as he finished his roll. The high-powered advanced 6.8mm rifle rounds penetrated the simple armor of the MAW and blew chunks out of its already weakened armor together with parts of the living rock system. The spider tank wobbled as its rounds punched up deep into the innards of the tank, destroying the magic circuits and the living rock muscles. He wondered how the hell did they manage to build a mech out here in the limited technology and manufacturing capabilities. It must be powered by magic thought Aaron, as he ran closer to the spider tank while keeping low as he could. He emptied the entire magazine at one of the leg joints, and the high-powered round sorted off the leg. It spewed out some kind of silvery liquid and coolant fluid. The spider tank rotated, and it seemed that the pilot was trying to stabilize the tank with the loss of the leg, making the gunners unable to properly draw a bead on him. Even the two marines on top of the hull had to grab onto something as the tank tried to balance itself. Aaron grinned as he quickly took the opportunity to reload his rifle. Just as he was about to fire, the side turret swiveled towards him and fired. He grunted loudly in surprise as suddenly he felt something punched and jerked him backwards violently all of a sudden. 
the young Orkin chief stood before his kinsmen, who formed up in a loose cluster. Each Orkin carried either a great axe or a heavy sword. Some were armed with black-powdered hand cannons or carried quivers filled with throwing spears. He looked at the left and right of his warriors, seeing the rest of the Orkins, clans and tribes swarming up together with his warriors. He nodded grimly to himself and turned to look at the billowing black smoke. The air smelled ascetic as the ashes were carried over by the winds and the whole plains appeared dark and foreboding as the skies were overcast with dark red thunderous clouds while the raging fire burnt underneath the skies. The scouts had returned and they brought news of the thing appeared to be wounded by the strange flying creatures that came from the skies. The elders and chiefs insisted on waiting for the shamans to return with the army of spirit warriors, while the younger chieftains followed the lead, urging for the attack to start before nightfall. In the end, more than two-thirds of the council followed him, and the gathered army now laid before him, all eager to rush into battle. He pulled his great axe off his back and raised it high into the one hand, and roared, It's a good day to die! <laughs> Over ten thousand Orkins' voices roared out as one as they jogged forward towards the thing that clearly sensed their challenge. It laid exhausted on its side as it tried to circulate its flow of manner to recover its injuries that it had sustained. The grass around it burned but it ignored the fire as it was barely able to scorch its body. Only the detestable hellfire still burning away around its den gave it any pause. It suddenly chocked its head to the side as a faint roaring cry coming from beyond the flames and smoke. It tried to sniff out the air and see through the smoke, only to smell the bitter sour ashes of the air, while its eyes were blinded by the heat and smoke. But its senses were still very much acute, and it slithered out of the flames and smoke to see a massive army delivering themselves right to its feet. Its golden eyes widened in anticipation at the offering coming near the stall step as it lurched forward with its jaws wide hungrily and its wounded temporarily forgotten. Drake braced himself carefully as the MAIW finally stabilized and he quickly climbed down on the side with Slow. He gave a couple of hand signals to Slow who nodded and they spread off to the sides to surround the human deserter that had half of its torso blown away. And remembering the deserters had some sort of power like the hero, Drake moved cautiously forward. His scoped rifle was slung behind his back while he swapped his service revolver and thrust it out, aiming at the unmoving body on the floor. He glanced at the corner of his eye and saw Slow Hip carrying his machine gun while covering the body from the side. The MAW had settled down on its haunches while the gun seemed to be aimed at the unmoving body. Zero two to Overwatch, busy dead. Drake's earpiece suddenly spoke. He hit the push-to-talk button on the comms and replied, Unsure, keep fingers on the trigger. Roger. Drake advanced till he's less than two meters away from the body and cursed as he saw the massive gaping hole in the body of Aaron had wisps of smoke that appeared to be knitting the body together. Frick! He quickly kicked away the discarded rifle before emptying his revolver point black in the regenerating body and stepped back to reload while Slow came up with his machine gun and housed a stream of red-hot lead in the unnatural thing flopping away from the impacts of bullets. <laughs> the body suddenly laughed as it jerked in spasm. You can't kill me! I'm immortal! Freck you... 
Drake cried out as slow stepped back. Zero true, borrowed on. VMAW got a total of four hard points and the 50 cal machine guns. The pilot controls the hard point for a dual forward facing 50 cal, a single 50 cal for each side sponson ball turrets, and that will last was the commander on the main turret. The total of five 50 cal guns each spewed a mixture of tracer, ball, and armor piercing rounds at a 1 to 2 ratio as the muzzle velocity of 908 meters per second at 510 rounds per minute. 42 50 caliber rounds were fired out of the five guns every second, and it took not even a split second to hammer it into the laughing human and force the 2,000 joules. A close to 850,000 joules of energy were dumped into the body of the human every second. A short five seconds later, the guns fell silent and what remained behind the smoking pockmark holes of the churned up ground was just pieces of bloated foot and bits of unidentified parts. Wisps of black smoke drifted up and destroyed ground and Drake frowned as he watched the smoke attach itself to the booted foot. He looked over at Slow who was eyeing the smoke warily and asked, Fire? Slow nodded. Fire good. Fire clean evil. Zero two to Overwatch. Is that thing dead now? Drake's comms ringed out. Negative. We're gonna burn it. Drake replied. Got any incendiary rounds? Um, negative. Wanna try a three inch HE? Seth asked from the comms. Hmm, sure. Why not? Drake grinned as he waved slow tobacco further. A humanoid shape was being formed out of the wisps of smoke, and another rasping laughter came out of the degenerating human. <laughs> I am immortal. You can't kill me with those puny weapons. Seth shook his head and cracked the display, showed the human being regrowing by tendrils of black smoke, and shuddered. Load HE. I load HE. The load is repeated in command and went to work on the three-inch gun. Up. Ready. Sath watched the two marines backing off to a safe distance before he gave the order. Fire. The scratcher's stub barrel of the three-inch cannon roared. Can't kill me. <laughs> Aaron coughed and laughed deliriously as pain of the reconstruction of his body drove him close to insanity. <laughs> Freckers can't get... The three-inch HE shell detonated right in his center mass. The 0.68 kilograms of trinitotaline bursting charge filled the hollow steel shell, ignited when the fire runes crumbled together when a force of 3,136,208 joules, instantly vaporizing everything within 8-meter radius. When the smoke and flames cleared, another small smoking crater was formed, and nothing remained of the human. Drake and Slow went up and poked around, trying to see if they could find any traces of the human, but there seemed to be nothing remaining of the human. Well, zero two, I think that did it, Drake reported over after fifteen minutes of searching. Can't find any parts of the frecker remaining. Good job, people, zero two replied amidst the background cheering of the crew. We wait for a while more to be sure before we make some repairs to the MAW. That jerk chewed up a lady pretty badly. Drake gestured for Slow to keep searching with the double sure that they had the guy while intruding dead. They walked up and down and dug a bit around in the ground before they were called back. Drake stood next to the moor and watched while the crew busied themselves over the exposed panels to repair and service the MAW as much as they could. 
He looked up at the clear, beautiful skies that contrasted greatly with the stormy clouds in the distance and gave off a deep breath of contentment that he was still alive. Damn, it's a good day to die. The L.I. UAV hummed softly to itself as it hovered at a height of over 250 meters in the sky over the raging battle below it. The smart camo paint under the beddy allowed it to somewhat blend in with the skies as it spied on the people below it. Its high-powered camera recorded and streamed thousands of gigabytes of data back to the control center as it watched impassively at thousands of toy-like orcs throwing their limes against the giant serpent. The engines continued to hum softly to itself as it repositioned itself over the victorious giant serpent that was crushing the remaining few pockets of resistance as it feasted on the orc's souls and it once exposed wounds slowly closed up and healed. The UAV continued on to the video and streamed data back to the satisfied serpent, slithered off in search of a new place to hole up till nightfall, leaving behind thousands of dead and dismembered bodies of orcs. End of chapter. Chapter 268. The Snake, the Empire, and the Humans. Fora, Grand Palace, Capital Kingdom of Forel. A soldier in clad in black armor ran across the sleek tiles of the Grand Palace. His cloak billowed behind him and his male boots clanked loudly, echoing throughout the empty hallways. He paused before an open doorway and knelt down. Lord Rock! The man who conquered the two-nation alliance stood with his back facing the soldier, with his hands clasped behind his back. He dressed in a simple grey tunic and pants, with long sword on his side, while he was normally worn armor was arranged neatly on the side table. He turned away from the view of the captured city, and gestured the soldiers in as he took a seat at the table. What news do you bring? The soldier had a yellow messenger sash across his chest, stood up and handed over several rolled-up parchments from his scroll case. He gave a salute and exited the room. Closing the door behind him, but staying out of sight of the room as he waited for his lord to finish the reports and in case there was a need for an urgent reply. Rock picked up the scrolls and tied secured by colorful ribbons, with each color determining the urgency of the content of the report. Blue and green for non-urgent data reports of military and civic side, yellow for petitions, and red and yellow for urgent military and civic matters, respectively. He saw a startling blood-red ribbon in the midst of the usual blue and green ribbons, and he quickly ripped the red ribbon off and broke the wax seal. He reread through the scroll a few times and frowned before he called out the messenger waiting outside. Messenger! Yes, my lord? The soldier, who delivered the reports, entered the room again and knelt down. Take this. Locke tossed the silver amulet and carried on his belt. Pass the order to the black scorpions to prepare for war. Tell all commanders to meet me in the great hall by the turn of the glass. Yes, my lord. The messenger caught the amulet and quickly left to carry out his orders. The rock stood up and walked back to the balcony and glanced out to the smoking city and wondered who had the balls to attack and invade one of the Empire's cities. The dead frontier, ocean plains. Taurus watched yet another group of refugees setting up camp on the outskirts of the village stockade next to several other large clusters of tents and wagons that had sprouted up since the return from his trip to the trade city. Beyond the rising tent city were cleared fields that were being tilled by both physical and magical means. The soil was poor and thin in the surrounding areas, and the water not easily available. 
but luckily there were plenty of soldiers on the last company that knew some basic water spells from the years in fighting on the field. Those soldiers now wandered around the tilled fields and cast water spells to irrigate the land, while others sowed the land with the seeded bartered back. Taurus, a deep gruff voice called out, and Taurus saw the bear-like captain of the last company walking up to him. More refugees, Taurus nodded. It's getting worse by the day. We do not have enough food for everyone, even the seeds we've gotten. I don't think that we can support so many people when the winter comes. Then we have some scuffles amongst the refugees already. Taurus reported, We are barely able to keep peace now and the many families are begging for us for food and water. Boris's expression hardened before he jerked his head towards another group who people who had their own guard and Richard-looking tents and wagons. Who are they? They look like some merchants and nobles from Forel with their families and guards, Taurus replied. What's in those wagons? Boris asked again. Not sure, Taurus shrugged. They did not allow us to check the cargo and we did not push them. Did they ask you all for food? Boss's eyes narrowed as he stared at the dozens of covered wagons parked in the middle of the camp. Now that you asked, Taurus frowned. No, don't think so. I need to check out our course marker on it. Call him over, Boss said as he sat down on the wooden steps and he waited for Taurus to return with the company's quartermaster. Not long, an old man led by Taurus came back. My lord, the balding quartermaster bowed as he stood before his captain. What is the food situation now? Boss asked immediately, ignoring the pleasantries. Not counting the need for refugees, we have enough to last the harvest and a newly planted crops, the old man said. As long as the yield of our first harvest isn't too low and the hunters bring back meat regularly, we can get past this year's winter comfortably. But our stocks of salt are low, and so we can't preserve a lot of meat. The quartermaster rubbed his chin as he squirmed eyes over the thick pile of ledges that brought along. It would be good if we could send another trade caravan off for more food, especially when the number of refugees piling up on our doorstep. Boss nodded before asking, Did those people over there ask for any food? Quartermaster narrowed his eyes and peered at the group pointed out by the captain replied, I do not recall them ever asking for anything. Not it, boss nodded again. Go back to work. Yes, my lord. The quartermaster saluted and walked off carrying along with the thick ledges. How long have they camped? Boss asked Taurus. More than a week, Taurus replied. They were here when I returned three days ago. Bring some troops along, boss suddenly said. I want to see what's inside those covered wagons. Taurus grinned and gave a mock salute and called out to the guards at the gate, and before long hundred men leader came up and saluted them both. My lords, my men are ready for your orders. Good. Boss gestured him and his men follow him and set off to the camp outside. The merchant guards and the house guards and the nobles all barely even stopped him and his men as the soldiers spread out to block the guards, leaving Boss, Taurus, and a handful of escorts to enter the merchant camp undisturbed. They walked right up to the covered wagons in the middle of the camp, while dozens of people of all ages and rich clothing eyed them in confusion and loathe. They ignored the stares and whispers and stood before one of the covered wagons, where a couple of guards tried to stop them, but froze under the intense glare of the veteran soldiers. The guard could only run off to inform their superiors, as they did not dare to stop the soldiers. Borsch gestured to his men, who pulled off the back cover of the wagons that had found and crates of barrels of food supply. 
His face darkened as the soldiers checked the cargo in another wagon and found more supplies of dried fruits, flour grain, salted meat, and other kinds of food preserved in oil. Taurus whistled as he took a quick peek at the other wagons. Mentally calculating the amount of food here, in these twenty wagons are more than enough to feed a few hundred people for at least a month. Taurus gave Boss a silent nod as he hopped off the wagon. Boss nodded back and turned to one of the men and ordered them to bring more soldiers over. They will seize these wagons to feed the people. You! A man cried out from several well-dressed men came rushing over with dozens of guards. What do you think you're trying to do? Are you the leader of this camp? Boss asked an angry man who stood up before him. Yes! The red-faced merchant cried out. Get out of my camp! The guards behind the merchant grasped their weapons tightly, and they started down at the soldiers. You know, Boss replied calmly, this area is under my control. You bandits! The merchant cried out. You want to steal my stuff? Taurus giggled and gave a low bow. You are speaking to the Lord of Dead Frontier. The merchants paused in the ranting and quietened down. While the red-faced merchant quickly changed his tone. Oh, my lord! My mistake! My apologies! My mistake! Boss grunted and pointed to the wagons. I want all of them. The merchants paled and looked at each other. But, my lord, those are our supplies. Darius shook his head in mock sadness at the merchants' reactions. Not anymore. The Isles Council of Masters. The five fleet masters sat at a round table with solemn expressions on their faces. Even the normally chatty Megan was subdued. Is this information accurate? The first fleet master asked softly at the messenger. Yes, fleet master, the messenger replied. It came by priority, Verum. The fleet master nodded and dismissed the messenger before turning his attention to the other four, who all had taken turns to read the delivered parchment. Sightings of a giant snake that is over 200 feet long. Megan finally broke the silence. Where can such a monster come from? From the information given, it appears to be out of nowhere in the city called Sin. The scholarly Akron spoke up, and that city was destroyed in one night. We need to take measures, the John roared as he hammered both his fists on the top of the table. Even if we separate by a barrier of water, if that thing swims over, Megan snorted. That is the least of our problems now. She gestured to the map on the round table and said, Two alliance has fallen, and effectively the Empire is now the sole power controlling the whole continent. We need to take steps to prevent the Empire from swallowing us up, Megan said. The John calmed down and heard Megan's words. True, but those humans, they're just too strong. Ultimately, can a city fight against a whole continent? Megan asked. We should instead focus on getting arcane arts from the humans to strengthen our military. The fleet masters started a debate amongst themselves as the first fleet master watched and listened on. They continued to discuss till late and a course of actions that they had against the Empire, the Snake, and the humans. All Wells Point Marine Command A total of 550,000 6.8 millimeter rounds, 500,000 50 cal, 450,000 8.6 millimeter for the MGs, 100 spare M1 mage locks, 40 MG1s, 10 50 cal machine guns, 20 RPGs1s, 10 120mm mortar tubes and 4 3-inch guns. The quartermaster of the 2nd Battalion reported. Another 200 rounds of HEAT rockets for the RPGs. 
320mm HG mortar shells and 300 HE 3-inch shells were also delivered. We also took over 10 heavy hauler trucks, 8 half-tracks and 12 jeeps for the use of the 2nd Battalion. The quartermaster continued. Also another 10 tons of Dragonite fuel for the vehicles. Got it, Joseph nodded. Sir, a boyish lieutenant dressed in one piece of dark green jumpsuit stood up and saluted in the meeting room. First armored reporting for duty, sir. Joseph's eyebrows rose up as he saw the two golems crouching outside the city walls. Their low, slung, and sleek lines made them look predatory, and the amount of firepower each possessed was enough to destroy an entire steel and shield army by itself. He returned the salute to the lieutenant and gave a smile, knowing that the chances against the snake and the empire went up by a large factor. Lieutenant, welcome to Orwell's Point. I am very certain you and your boys will be very appreciated here. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.